Thank you all for tuning in to the AFT Construction Podcast. Here on episode 17, we have our guest, Joe Stebrick. We were super excited to have him on as he's an expert in building science, moisture control, and indoor air quality. He's a speaker and building investigator and consultant for the industry. So a lot of us look up to Joe and his knowledge of building science, and we were fortunate to have him host a Q&A with SES Foam at their booth at the International Build Show in Vegas last week. So this podcast was recorded live at the event, and the sound is actually pretty good, even though there's some background noise. So stay tuned for those of you that missed uh, his Q&A. So we have Joe Stebrick here, building science guru. So one of the, um, the goal today is with everyone here just to learn a little bit more about building science and advanced framing. So we're going to kick this off. Joe, you can take this and we're going to have Q&A from everybody, but let's first talk about advanced framing, how it started and why that's important and what we should be doing as builders with advanced framing. We've talked to Aaron about that, but we want to hear from you. I, I know this is going to sound really complicated, but, 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 but here, here goes. You want a straight load path from the top of your building to the foundation. And it's kind of dumb if you have your vertical sticks not line up with your vertical sticks to not line up with your trusses. And when they don't line up, you have to transfer the loads horizontally. So the reason we have double top plates is because people weren't smart enough to say, gee, I should put my truss directly over my stud, directly over my floor joist, directly over my stud to connect to my foundation. So if the stuff lines up top to bottom, I don't need double plates. And if it lines up from top to bottom, I can spread the thingies that are vertical farther apart. So by farther apart, you're, you know, typically it's industry standard, right? We're 16 inches on center, right? So with advanced framing, we're going to 24. We're going to 24 inch centers and single plates, but only if things line up. Do I mention that? That only if things line up. Now, some walls are load bearing and some walls are not load bearing. You guys know that, right? I mean, you got a, a truss, and then you got your end walls. Well, when you have end walls, because they're not load-bearing, you don't need headers over windows, because there's no load, right? Nodding here would be the appropriate yeah. thing. <laughs> now, it would be kind of dumb if your roof framing is running this way and your floor framing is running that way, because then that wall is load-bearing, but only the first floor, not the second floor. So you only have headers over windows and doors on load-bearing walls. So if you're really smart, you minimize your load-bearing walls, then you don't need headers. Isn't that kind of cool? Or it gets even better. You don't need jacks and cripples. Because we don't support windows at the bottom. We hang freaking windows. They're not that freaking heavy. So I don't need jacks and cripples. I don't need headers on non-load-bearing walls. I don't need double plates. Right? Right. right. It gets right. even freaking better. I don't need three freaking pieces of wood in the corner because one of those is to support the drywall. 
drywall doesn't need to be supported. Clip the drywall to it freaking self. So now I can have two stud corners. If I have two stud corners, I can put more freaking insulation in it. Woo, the corner is warmer. Yay, I say wood. So explain how that is. When you're talking about, you know, a two wood corner, you're talking that it's coming this way so you can insulate the exterior, that pocket, right? Well, you insulate it from the interior, right? So I'm Put just, on a California corner. I don't want to hear the word California. <laughs> we need to build the wall between California and the rest of the country to keep that shit from crossing to the Rio Grande, okay? Not going to happen. So we have a like two-stud corner before there was California. And, by the way, this technology is very, very recent, 1960s, CUD. Yeah. It just takes, you know, a half a century to get adopted. Now, this is not all easy, okay? It gets complicated. Let me explain. Your pre-cut studs need to be an inch and a half taller now, right? Now, how high is an eight-foot wall? 97 inches. It's not 96 inches. Well, how high is OSB? 96 inches. And so you have big shear issues. You know, you need taller OSB to handle your racking resistance. Um, when you're putting your gypsum board up, you have to have floating corners. This is all not all, you know, fun and games. It makes sense. Now, guess what? You're going to do this with two by sixes. Well, it changes all of your dimensions. Oh, my God. But the good news, if you start off with a clean sheet of paper and you have a good architect like a famous guy over here that, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, Mr. Mr. Bazak, you know, you, you get this stuff laid out. And the other thing that you like is that you lay out the walls so that, you know, the framer doesn't make shit up. It's like every one of these walls is built the same way. Back in the day, we'd have a set of plans. We'd build it five times. And we'd have five different framing plans. It was like everybody out for a pass, right? It was, it was like basically the, you know, Kansas City Chiefs offense. They're, they're a semi-professional team that's probably going to beat the people in San Francisco. Anyway, so you line it up, but the dimensions are different, and you have to take that into take that into account. But here's the good news. Um, you actually can reduce your board footage of lumber by about 5%. In other words, by going from 2x4s to 2x6 advanced framing, the number, the volume of wood, the pounds of wood is reduced. So it's actually less expensive to use advanced framing with 2x6s than standard framing with 2x4s. Plus, you've got about 20% less framing pieces. So the building goes together faster, but not the first time. Carpenters, framers, are going to hate this the first time out because they're insanely efficient at using an inefficient system. So we're going to then teach them an efficient system that they're going to be inefficient at for a while. It usually takes five to ten houses before the crews really get it. And then they love it because it saves them time. So you have less lumber going together faster in a higher thermal resistance taste great less filling so why haven't we done it because we haven't had to you know we've been able to get away with building stupid stuff for a long time well now people are saying well i don't want stupid stuff i want good stuff so you want advanced framing but you're going to have you have to understand now your your lumber pieces are going to be taller right your studs have to be taller 
and your shear is going to be complicated. So you're not going to be able to put vertical pieces of 8-foot OSB on for your shear. You're going to have to go to 9-foot or 10-foot pieces. Shear is a big deal. Or you're going to have to start putting things on horizontally. So it works. It's great. There's a learning curve. And you're going to end up doing it. Now, think about this. Say you're in Houston. You're building 2x4s. It's cheaper to go to a 2x6 wall in Houston. You can say, well, gee, I'm going to go to R20. I don't need R20 in Houston. But it's less expensive for me to go to R20 in Houston than to be with R13 in Houston with a 2x4 wall if I'm going to advanced framing. <coughs> so that's my so, my So cordon. let me ask you this, though. <coughs> we, we talk about advanced framing, but how do we train you know, our architects and engineers... Like, how are we giving them that education so they're designing it so we can instruct our framers and then do it in the field? Well, with engineers, you have to speak slowly and use small words and repeat a lot. (coughs) No, believe it or not, um, we've really not had a problem with architects or engineers. They're they're actually kind of into this. Any structural engineer is going to say, wow, this is awesome. You know, straight load paths, people are thinking... There isn't an engineer in the world that's going to argue against it. Now, architects, they love this stuff because it's green. Think about this. I'm saving wood and I'm improving thermal performance. Plus, with the floating corners, you're reducing the risk of drywall cracking. So the, everything everything about this, the difficulty is, is it changes their details. Now, <coughs> big firms don't like radical change on details. Smaller firms, they embrace this. I don't know of any... We've never had a problem with a, 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 you know, a reasonably sized small architectural firm not getting into this. And the stuff is all over the web. I mean, it's not... I didn't invent this. Remember, this goes to the 1960s. All I did was take 1960s stuff and I added color to it. I colorized building signs. I'm the Ted Turner of building signs. You're not getting the humor here. No. He, 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 they're young. They don't know. Yeah. Elvis, have you heard of Elvis? Presley, <laughs> not Costello. This is going to be a tough yeah. group. <laughs> it's a, a tough crowd. Yes, sir. I've always liked the second top plate for tying the corners in and tying the interior walls in. How do you recommend you do that now? Well, you, you don't, you don't so need to. So real quick, the question so you guys in here. He said he always likes a double top plate to tie it in, right, to tie in the corners. Tie in the corners, tie in your interior So walls. what's the answer if you only have a single top plate? Well, we, we, we do no, we do it with a horizontal, with a, hor- with, with, no, with a horizontal board, horizontal 2x4 or 2x6 to tie the inter- intersecting wall. In terms of the top, you have a, a, a splice at the bottom. Or you have a metal plate connection. At the corners, you can tie it in with a metal plate. Um, on, on our website, I have something called Builder's Guide. And um, there are like about 100 details that show you how to do windows, how to tie in corners, how to tie in intersecting walls. Uh, I mean, all of these things have been figured out. There are some big builders, that production builders, that do this. I mean, weekly David Weekly Homes, most of their homes in Texas are advanced framing. They're not doing it because they're green. They're doing it because they're smart. It's less expensive, reduces the risk. It's just all, all these neat things. Now, each framing crew in each company is going to have their own slight little variation or version. And that's, that's kind of cool. It's this, 
this works for us. This works better uh, for us. Uh, and and it, it's, I call it a Ginger Mary Ann thing. There's no wrong answer. See, Gilligan's <laughs> Island, it was Ginger that, Mary Ann. Right. And, and I just didn't understand why they just didn't, didn't build a boat. I mean, they had right. the Professor Ann, Mary Ann. They could have built a boat and, and left the island. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, I see right, Gilligan's right, Island. All right. All right. So now from advanced framing, so what are some other components that go into the energy efficiency? What should we be doing with the truss system, windows, insulation? Well, all right. I, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that exterior insulation or continuous insulation on the outside is where we're going to end up. And then the big problem with continuous insulation is not the continuous insulation. It's where the window is. In other words, is the window in any and out or a tweeny? In other words, is the window out to the outside? Is the window to the inside or in between? Audis, where the flanges are on the outside of the continuous insulation, are the easiest to water manage. Innies, I think, personally look better, even though I'm not allowed to have aesthetic opinions because I'm an engineer, <laughs> but they're the most difficult to water manage, and we're finding that we have to use fluid-applied flashings to make it easy to do this. So. You're going to win or lose the game on the air and water management of your punched openings. That means how you install windows and doors. And so when we do commercial projects, we typically push to Audis because when you're putting in several hundred windows, you want to make it easy for the people putting in the windows. The windows. And then when you're doing you know, the, uh, a nice custom home, then you let the architect decide from an aesthetic perspective, how, how do you want to make it work? And now, if I interrupt you, Joe, I mean, what's important about that, just so you guys know, and you can keep talking about this, like for us in our HOAs in Scottsdale, we have to have them in, right? They require a six-inch depth or shelf as recessed windows. And so that's what you're alluding to. Is it on a high-end custom that you have that? Well, I, I, I think you're going to discover fluid-applied uh, fluid flashings are probably going to be a, a place where you're going to, where you're going to, where you're going to, want, want, to want to end up. But, again, you're going to win or lose the game on what we call the punched openings, the windows, the doors, the penetrations. So, but be prepared. Now that, that's an independent question of advanced framing. In other words, you, advanced framing is advanced framing, then you've got your continuous insulation and your water management. You're gonna have to decide on your water and air management. I think the best technology is on the outside of the building enclosure, not on the inside. But that, that's changed. I mean, when I was a youngster, when the Toronto Maple Leafs were winning Stanley Cups, <laughs> the air control was on the inside. And it's complicated with intersecting walls and punched you know, on the bathtubs and whatever. The, the best place for this is on the outside. And the commercial industry figured that out first. So we went from air and vapor control on the inside to air and vapor control on the outside. So you're going to have to decide whether it's going to be a sheathing on your advanced frame or it's going to be your insulation layer you're going to have to figure out how to do it, which one of those is do you going have to a be. preference i i do not like mechanically attached systems so i i i do not like tyvex and tie pars and whatever i like completely fully adhered or fluid applied systems i i like i like huber zip or i like taking something like dow styrofoam on or owens corning pink board and sealing the, the seams. Um, so I, but everybody has, you know, you're going to need something. 
you all have to decide which one you want. Remember, you're, it's important that you don't irritate your, your clients or your customers. There are a whole bunch of people that don't like foam. Well, so you're going to build buildings that don't have foam for the people that don't like foam. I like mineral wool. Okay, so you're going to give them mineral wool. Mineral wool is going to have to be put over... You can't turn the mineral wool into your air control and water control. You're going to need to put it behind the mineral wool. So you know, a, a hybrid greeny wall would be, say, 2 by 6 advanced framing with Huber zip with the tapes joints with an inch or two of mineral wool on the outside and the ground-up New York Times on the inside because I think <laughs> cellulose is the best use for the New York Times. You're not... <laughs> That was freaking funny. That was a good one. I like. Please don't post this on the internet because I'm going to lose all work in Massachusetts. But so then there are people that are going to say, "Well, I don't like that approach at all." So two by six advanced frame, you can put uh, you know an inch and a half of extruded polystyrene, then you put two inches of closed cell spray foam on the inside, and that gives you all of the racking resistance you need, right? Yes. You yes. get all of the rocking resistance you freaking need. That's, that's unbelievable. Cool. That, that is amazing. Um, but okay, so that's another option. Now, in terms of, 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 of attics, I mean, it's, it should be a no-brainer. The best technology has always been a conditioned attic. Not a vented attic, but a conditioned attic. But when you get into cold climates where there's snow, you would put a vented over-roof over your unvented under-roof because of ice damage. So when I'm doing high-end stuff in, in, in Aspen or Steamboat or Bale, we build an unvented roof, but we then put a vented over roof to compensate for the thermal resistance of the snow. That's not a problem for you in Phoenix. Right, Phoenix, yeah. But you want to go unvented condition. And so... Wait, what, excuse me, repeat that. I thought you were always big on vented. No. Now you're saying that. No, not now. I've never been in favor of... I invented I invented unvented. I'm, and I'm going to apologize for okay. the term. I should have never used the word unvented. I should have used the word conditioned. I, I, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Unvented roofs should be conditioned. They need to be connected to the house. Just like unvented crawl spaces are a really bad idea. You should make them conditioned crawl spaces. You want... See, the problem with crawl spaces is they need to be completely disconnected from the house or completely connected to the house. So you want a conditioned attic or a conditioned crawl space. You don't want an unvented attic and an unvented crawl space. But if you don't have a conditioned attic, you can have a vented attic. It's just as good to you. Well, no, you could have a vented attic that works as long as you don't put stuff in it. Like your, like, your like your air handler and like your duct handler, work, right? Right. God invented basements to put mechanical systems in. <laughs> you build without basements. In like te- us, in, like in, in Phoenix. Okay, in Texas, they call an attic a Texas basement. So what do we put in freaking Texas? Everything up there. Well, you don't want to put your stuff outside of your building. So you want to turn the attic into a conditioned space. You want to couple it to your space. So Phoenix, you want it to be coupled, connected to your whatever. You got wonderful slab on grades. You got these great walls. You got this attic connected to the house. The thing that you want disconnected is your garage. 
connect your garage to the house in Michigan, we call that the Kervokian option. Yeah, that was come on. That was that was funny. It's a come tough on, crowd. come it's on. A tough crowd, Joe. <laughs> Not nothing. I'm getting I'm nothing. getting nothing from you guys. Nothing. <laughs> so the snowfall. It's hard to hear. 50, it is hard to hear. Fifty below or so. it, when you have the yeah. mentioned snowfall, doesn't that change the dynamics? Well, when you, I want to have a. Can you speak up a little bit, so Joe? The, I think they're saying it's hard so, to hear. Yeah. So the question was. Again, related to snow, and I'm assuming snowfall related to attic construction. The only way to control ice damming is to have ventilation. Now, um, it's got a piece of paper. Give me up. You're never going to get this back. All right. All right. So, when, so when I first started, we had roofs like this. You could make your ceiling airtight, have everything underneath it. And then I married an architect. And I got roofs that look like this. There's no freaking way that you're going to turn this into an airtight vented attic. You're, you're batshit crazy. So the idea is that the more... Here, you can have this back. The more complicated the roof geometry, you might decide that it's easier to make your roof unvented. But the trouble is, is that when you have complicated roofs where you have a lot of snowfall... You then put a vented overroof over the unvented underroof. But if you have a simple roof and you're in Minnesota with a basement, you go with your vented roof. All right. In but Phoenix, not, though, in Phoenix have, you would yeah. never, never, ever do a vented roof. Correct. Ever. How about it's so your, hot. It's 150 of, degrees in the attic. Do they have a basement in Missouri? Yeah. I could put the shit in the basement. Yeah, yeah. which right. we always do. And they're probably going to be depressed when All they lose the Super Bowl. The right. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because when you have wood shingled roofs, will they breathe? No. Okay. You have to put the wood shingled roofs on a, on, a, on a gap, and one of the neatest things was invented, not, not by me, but by a bunch of folks in New England, and it's a polypropylene mesh, and it's called Cedar Breather. Okay. So, remember in the old days, you had uh, wood shingles and you'd put them on furring strips. We called them skip sheathing. You'd have a strip, skip a space, another strip, and you have building paper. And so when the shingles, the wood shingles got wet, they could dry down and out. When we started using plywood roof sheathing and roofing felt, and we'd put shingles, wood shingles on that, they rotted. We took a 100-year shingle and turned it into a 10-year roof. By putting a small breather space, a polypropylene mesh, it was uh, half an inch, I think, in the old days, the, the shingle could drive both to the top and the bottom. So I, I love wood, wood, wood shingles and wood shakes on roofs, so you put down a fully adhered peel-and-stick membrane like ice and water shield, but a high-temperature one, put down Benjamin Updike's uh, cedar breather, and then put your shakes or shingles on that, and man, you're, you're rocking and rolling. But that's not enough to handle ice damming. Okay. So that's not enough of a gap. So you, you want to do that regardless, but then you're going to need much more airspace to flush the heat out from an ice damp perspective. And the reason why I asked was years ago, we used to go in the attic and you could see out all over daylight. They yeah. didn't put the felt. They just put the shingles right on the one by four. And the deal was when they got wet, they swelled and they sealed. And well, so now they put the felt strips, you know, on some of these re-roofs. They don't even sheet it. 
We don't have a lot of them. I mean, nobody's doing it. They well, cost but, so much. Well, but, but the, I mean, yeah. the, 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 felt, the, the, the felt strips um, didn't hurt you. No, no. I, in, in fact, the argument was that we actually needed the felt strips to reduce the wind flow to reduce something called wind-driven rain. Right. So we got what we called some air tightness or pressure relief or pressure equalization. But look, the wood roos were spectacular, okay? I mean, don't, I mean, this is like, I'm like, I have a little tear going down this corner of my cheek thinking so fondly of wood shingle and wood roos, right? But you don't want them to rot, so you need to have an air gap. So guess what? We learned with roos that when we started look, building highly insulated walls with wood siding, what did we need behind the wood siding? A freaking air gap. Yeah. Duh. There you go. What else you got? What else you guys have? I got a question from Vancouver. I came out, I think it was three or four years ago. I've been following the for a long time. The big thing in Vancouver, we're doing all the high performance framing and stuff. Yes, they've mandated it now, but it's good. To, obviously, it's a great thing to do. Decks over living spaces has always been a contentious thing in Vancouver. And we're now they started eliminating the use of spray foam. Um, for decks, what's your opinion? Well, like, why, we're, why, why are they eliminating the use of spray foam? I get in Vancouver, they're pulling up decks that are eight or nine years old that have failed spray foam decks. And um, well, if they used open cell foam, they would fail in Vancouver. If they use closed cell, they won't fail. The problem with the decks is that their water management is bad. What we've learned is that. You need a drainage gap between your deck topping and your water control. One of the worst things to do is to put down a fully adhered membrane and then stick, you know, tile on that with adhesive or whatever. You need a drainage mat between your deck topping and your water management. Now, if you don't, our pedestals are the same thing. So, now you could have the water control layer be your integral deck deck coating that will work. But if you have your water control layer and put something else on the top of it, you're doomed. It's not the foam that's the problem. It's the fact that you're not controlling hydrostatic pressure on the top. So for longevity of a deck, what would be better, a cross-vented deck or spray foam deck? Well, what I would do for longevity is I would put a spray foam underneath your water control layer a polypropylene mesh on the top of that and your deck topping. Now, let's say your client doesn't want to use spray foam. I apologize because, you know, not everybody is going to like this answer. Well, then what you do is you put your waterproofing system down, you put extruded polystyrene on the top of that, and then a gap, and then your topping. Now, your extruded polystyrene needs to have a capillary break under it, so you usually put it under a small mat. So you've got your waterproofing, a small mat, your rigid insulation, a filter fabric, your pedestal, and your finish. And that, that's a, a, a classic uh, roof, roof system. All of this is on our website for free. So what is the website? Build, build, buildingscience.com. Not buildingscience.com, buildingscience.com <laughs> I have one question and I've wanted to know and I've watched all of your uh, you know YouTube videos and I've been waiting and waiting because you I think you're a genius and you've got all the answers and you you even admit when you make a mistake which is great well it takes a long time for me to admit a mistake okay, and well I'm running out of time because I'm old so I'm admitting a lot of them what you got but thank I've been you for waiting, that and I've been waiting and how do you stop stupid 
<laughs> well, in the old I days... I can't even slow him down, or I can't outbid him. No, in, in the old days, we had wild animals that would kill and eat the weak and the stupid to get them out of the gene pool, and that was a pretty damn good system. <laughs> if that's not possible, promote them to management. <laughs> and then let us people do the work. No, okay, I mean, in a serious way, the, the problem is, is that we don't invest in time to tell the people doing the work why they're doing the work. We just tell them, shut up and do this. I don't want to do that. I, I want, I, when I was learning, the old guys would razz the shit out of me, but they kind of adopted me and would make jokes, but they would tell me why I was doing something. And one of the neatest things is people love it when they understand why they're doing something. In our projects, we're a small firm. We, we can't see our stuff every day. But I spent a lot of time talking to the people who are actually going to waterproof the windows and do the decks. And they're there all the time. And they have these things called cell phones with a camera. If I do my job right and tell them why they're doing something, they're going to see stuff because they're there all the time that I can't catch. And they'll you make yourself accessible to them. Send me a damn picture. I'll, I, I have no friends. I'd love to look at your freaking picture. I can't tell you how many times that the, the people doing the work has saved my sorry butt because they caught something that I didn't catch, but I told them why we were trying to do something and the principle behind it, and then they got your back. And then you, you build a team. It's absolutely magnificent. And so invest, invest, because the rewards are magnificent. You're, you're not an asshole anymore. You're nice. Oh, they're always going to be some of them, right? But you know what I mean. It's, it's tell people why they're doing something. Good, bad, gravity, not gravity. Don't be a dope slope. If you want to save cash flash, layer it this way. Good, bad. It gets complicated when we have corners. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Hey, we got this weird corner, Joe. Oh, thank God. I, I missed that. Okay, what's your... Put some pookie on it, paint some shit over this, and send me a picture. Yeah, okay. You know what? That's spectacular. When the people doing the work can talk to everybody. So now what can they do for continuing education? Because, you know, YouTube's one thing, DM's one thing. Are there courses, seminars around the country, depending by region, that people can get that more? Well, I, I, this guy does a lot of stuff a couple of days a month with uh, Huber, Huber Zip. They got a good bunch there's a, a bunch in uh in uh denver near the airport uh construction and they're 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 pretty neat our our um i do two-day seminars but my stuff is more oriented to the architects and the engineers so they're not as smart as you guys so it takes a lot longer you probably would be bored to tears in my architect engineering class so um and um there, 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 there are more people. I mean, there, there, there are lots of folks that are now getting the water and air management stuff. And, and I know that uh, Georgia Pacific's got some classes out there. Uh, Casella Dorkin, I think they're called Dorkin now. I've got people speaking and whatever. So just, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. There's a lot. I mean, I, I, I mean I'd love to have you in my, my classes. I, I really would. But we, we, we're, we only do them five. Don't forget Building Science Flight Club. Oh, <laughs> I won't tell her you did. All right, let me let me explain uh, Building Science Fight Club. 
I have a beautiful babe daughter that's an architect that knows stuff, and she's building science fight club. And apparently she does this, you know, social media thing. I don't know what social media is, but uh, that's a great place to, uh, 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 to go. And then if you, you know, we got stuff on our website, you know, uh, email us and we'll, we'll send you places. There, there are lots of folks doing stuff now. You know, 10 years ago, we had a few. 20 years ago, we had nothing. So there's a lot. So then outside of, you know, the vapor barriers, outside of insulation, windows, advanced framing, what else should we be looking at as far as mechanical design, lighting, anything on the interior uh, side? All right, well, it's easy. Balanced ventilation, balanced ventilation, balanced ventilation. Did I mention balanced ventilation? Sucking is bad, blowing is bad. Sucking and blowing at the same time is good. You know, so you want to bring the same amount of air in that you exhaust. And you want balanced ventilation with mixing and distribution because overventilation is as much of a problem as underventilation. So you want to Goldilocks it. Don't have too much air, don't have too little, have the right amount. So what you do is you design a system that's balanced ventilation, put it and design it that it has a capacity of maybe 30 to 50% more than the code minimum, but commission it at half of the code rates. In other words, you commission the system at a lower rate, but you have a higher capacity and give control of the ventilation rate to the occupant. People aren't stupid. You know, I remember the arguments, well, we're not going to let people control their temperature in their house, you know. And we said, you know, what do you mean? You're not going to give people the right to control their temperature in their house with a thermostat? I mean, there's a T-shirt. You can pry my thermostat from my cold, dead hands. You can pry my ventilation stat from my cold, dead hands. So balance ventilation and uh, don't overventilate and give control to the occupant. For you to do that, you want to make sure that you don't build your house out of stupid shit. You know, you want materials that don't off-gas bad stuff. So you want source control for the building, and then you have dilution ventilation for people. Because you can't do source control for people. And Mrs. Kosnowski, four of your kids have to go to university. Actually, that's probably a good thing. Here's the deal with kids in university. When they leave, child-proof the house so they can't get back in. This is, this is really important. <coughs> so people are major contaminants. We're evaporatively cooled on vented combustion appliances. So we create bioethylene, so you ventilate for people. You don't want to ventilate for bad materials. If you're smart, you don't put bad materials in and just ventilate for people. Now, with balanced ventilation, that means that you're able to do energy recovery, and that's going to be the future. Balanced ventilation, mixing and distribution with energy recovery, with source control under contaminants, you can't be more energy efficient than that. Now, so there's problems with this, right? Yeah, of course, because there's nothing easy. Your houses are becoming tighter than a Scotsman in a bar. <laughs> and you're regularly going to be less than three air changes per hour at 50 pascals. You're going to be between one and two and a half, probably. You put in a 600 or 700 CFM exhaust fan, where's the air coming from to replace the air? So you're, you're, the problem is going to be um, all of your air-consuming appliances are going to need some form of makeup air. Or you turn air-consuming devices into non-air-consuming devices. A, a, a dryer is a 200 CFM exhaust fan. 
why don't you buy a dryer that doesn't exhaust? You can have a condensing dryer. That's phenomenal. So the trend is going to be to condensing dryers, and you're going to end up having to figure out how to provide makeup air for large exhaust appliances like kitchen range hoods. Um, there are issues here, folks. It's not easy. Um, I I walked the, I walked this the buildings, and I'm looking for cheap interlock makeup air systems for kitchen range hoods. I didn't find any. So you guys want to start your own business and make a lot of money, that would be a good place to be. But it's a problem. And don't put in the recirculating ones. That's like a toilet that never flushes and spins the shit round and round and round. <laughs> Tell them about those green energy buildings. <laughs> I'm not gonna, not gonna go there. So I'm any an, other I'm questions a, that you guys have? I have enough trouble. Any other questions you guys have about building science, advanced framing, energy efficiency? about trusses what if we have stick roof in our area well what, what's nice about uh, stick roofs is that they don't move as badly as trusses trusses lift up truss uplift and you have drywall cracking with trusses you need floating corners with stick framing that's not an issue so, like you're saying make sure all your floor and ceiling goes one way like your trusses are yeah, if you're doing advanced framing you want to line everything up with double plate if the studs I'll do 24 inch on center but my floor joists have to be because of the span 16 inch on center yes yeah, absolutely so they don't line up well I know and so you've got to compensate with the double plate that so would be yes that would be where's that that's a South Texas accent no. Ukraine thanks so much <laughs> I'm, so, uh, we're kind of related I'm, I'm, I'm Czech but I'm not from there anymore so I'm a canceled Czech <laughs> uh, come on finally a laugh out finally, of the, the end. I have to beg for this it's tough <laughs> alright one more question anyone I'll take one else. Yeah. what are your thoughts on passive housing I think passive house that is a, a small question passive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> passive house is a cult and it's a wonderful cult I mean they're the most innovative bunch of folks around if I was a builder like I was 40 years ago, I'd be a member of that cult. People keep telling them they can't do stuff, it's never going to work, and they keep inventing stuff, and it's, and, it, and, it, and it's working. Now, I don't think Passive House should be a national building code. I just think it's a neat group of very high-performance buildings that we don't necessarily have to codify. So I, I'm always wanting to help them out. I show up at their conferences. I think some of the, you know, some of the stuff is Looney Tunes crazy, and some of the other stuff is unbelievably elegant and smart. And you go there to pick up the smart stuff and kind of shake your head at the Looney Tunes stuff. But man, they, I got their back no matter what. I, I think the world of them. But they shouldn't be a code. But man, what a what a neat what a neat group. It's like it's like being a Patriots fan. <laughs> what they cheat? Oh, just a bunch of sorry losers. Okay, let's not talk about the Astros. <laughs> Our company is based in Houston, so I get in trouble for that. I have uh, one more thing. It's not so much as a question as an observation. I want to get your input. All these products today are engineered systems. they got to be installed a certain way. 
and you get out on the job and nobody's followed the directions, they haven't put the zips on correctly, they haven't taped it properly, haven't rolled it, and then you see failures later and the product gets a bad name for, you know, for no reason. Well, my, my, my observation is, is, yes, that's true, but it's always been true. And part of this is we need to get better and the manufacturers have to get better at supporting their products. I mean, look, you've got a new innovative product and you just simply throw it out there. It's not going to be installed, right, unless you help, unless you help them out. <coughs> we had lots of problems in the spray foam industry when the chemical companies just were in the business of selling chemicals. This, we're in the systems business. So you need to not just develop the chemistry and the material science, but you also have to make sure that it gets installed correctly, and that requires support from the manufacturers. Those manufacturers that don't provide the support are gonna get into trouble and out of business, and those manufacturers that provide the support are gonna make inroads, and that's the way it's gonna be. By the way, it's the way it's always been, all right? Well, it's the way it's always been. Yeah, it's it's more so now because everything's <coughs> engineered. You know, it's not used to go to the lumber yard and pick up some studs, pick up a sheet of plywood. Now everything smart trim. You know, it all has directions. And well, but I, I think that's I think that's great. I mean, okay, you guys are not going to remember this, but we used to have phones that had rotary dials on them, <laughs> and you know, and now I got a phone yeah. that's got ten thousand songs on it and you know and connected to the to the planet you know I, we had things called 78 rpm records they would spin around and then we went to 45s and 33 now i got digital music i had a car that had a carburetor i now have a car that's got fuel injection that twin turbos that spin at 12,000 RPM, that the angle of attack changes based on, you know, uh, oxygen content and octane content. I got active suspension. I got more computer power in my car than went to the moon with Neil Armstrong. Do you think I'm going to go back to the 1960 Ford Galaxy 500 with the freaking carburetor? The answer is not happening. So all of these industries have gone through revolutionary changes now it's our turn. Now it's happening in construction. This is the most exciting time in our history. We've, we've been building out of dead plants and sticks for a thousand, two thousand years. Now we're going through the revolution. It's fabulous. You have, you youngsters have no freaking idea how much fun this is going to be. You're going to tell your grandchildren, I went to the moon, or our version of I went to the moon. It's going to be great. I'm sorry right. to ask this again, but I couldn't hear you very well when you were talking about unvented roof assemblies versus vented. So I'm in Colorado. We've got lots of snow. We don't put any mechanicals in the attic. Um, I'm trying to figure out a way to do airtight drywall lids. Is that the wrong approach? No. It, okay. I, I, I had a... Where's my paper guy? He's got another crumple. Another, another Where's your roof plan? All right. Here's there my, it is. Right, roof give, plan. Give, me, give me the straight one. <laughs> All right, who's got a piece of paper? And I'll, I'll show you. Souvenir roof. Yeah. <laughs> it's autographed. Yeah. All right. When I've got a very simple roof geometry, and I've got an airtight ceiling, and I've got continuous ridge fence, a continuous ridge, continuous soffits, that's a phenomenal way to build in a high snow load area. No doubt about it. If I've got 
no mechanical systems. But when you get a complex roof geometry, it becomes very, very difficult to make that ceiling plane airtight. So what we found with complex roof geometries, we turned the roof sheathing into the air control layer, and then we insulated from underneath. Now, in a high snow load area, that's gonna cause a snow ice dam problem. So we put a vented over roof over the unvented under roof with complex roof geometries. If it's a simple roof geometry, I don't have to do that. I win and lose the game on the air tightness. And if I can make a complex roof airtight because I've got skilled people and I'm paying attention, two thumbs up. If I've got a complex roof, I'm going to probably put the air control layer on the top and then put a vented over roof over that to handle my ice damming. So you're still putting your air control layer on top of the roof sheathing, but you're putting your insulation at the lid. No, I put the insulation on the underside. Okay, but what if I don't want to use spray foam? You don't have to use spray foam. Then you can put rigid insulation on the top of that. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Now, it sounds to me that um, if you spend the time on the air tightness of the lid, you don't need to put the vented over roof because your entire attic is now vented. So if you make that level air, layer airtight, you win. Again, it's the, the plane of airtightness is where you win or lose this. You have to decide whether I whether I have it here or I had it at the roof deck, and only you can make that decision. Right? Thank you. You're welcome. How do you feel about uh, secondary barriers? So, like putting a, a, a second barrier over zips. Well, the, I, is there any drawback? I know, like well, no, Tyvek requires you to do that for stone, and a lot of people miss that. They know that. Well, okay. Let, let me explain with 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 stone and stucco. You need a gap between your stone and stucco and your water control layer. That ma doesn't matter whether the water control layer is Tyvek or Huber Zip or, or whatever. You're, you need a drainage gap. Now, that drainage layer could be the Huber Zip. When we put stucco over Huber Zip, I always put a 3 8 inch drainage mat over that. I take a keen drainage mat or I take, you know, uh, Benjamin Updike. All right, I've got uh, um, uh, Casella Dorkin. There are a lot of ways to get Something my... Something big, not like the wrinkled type of... The wrinkled stuff isn't good enough for stone or stucco, okay. right, in my view. I, I okay. But is there any drawback to, like, putting zips on and then coming back with a 30-pound felt in front of it? No, there isn't. Okay. No, there isn't. But that 30-pound felt won't help you if you don't have another gap... Right. Over the oh, no, no, I okay. realize that from yeah. breathing and draining yeah. it out. Absolutely. Right, to drain. I was just trying to get that extra insurance. No, that's fine. I, I call it multiple systems redundancy or clean underwear design, right? You choose your pants, then a belt, and then suspenders, and then clean underwear just in case everything goes bad. Yeah. <laughs> a big thanks to all of you for joining in today on the podcast with Joe Stebrick. And a big thanks to SES Foam and Aaron Davenport for hosting him and allowing us to record that Q&A. Uh, with Joe. And next week on episode 18, we're going to have Joel Wool on. And Joel is a big LinkedIn guru. So we brought him on to speak about the power of LinkedIn and how all of us should be using LinkedIn and that social media platform to build our business and our network. And Joel also has his own podcast, which is Ask Joel. And he hosts the yearly LinkedIn global event, which we were fortunate to attend last year. So definitely stay tuned for next week.